Well, good morning. How is everyone today? Good, good, good. So uh, I don't know how many of you noticed, but Dr. Sayer came up and he moved one of my chess pieces here. Um, and I, I got to say, Dr. Sayer, do you play chess? Okay, good, because that was an illegal move. Uh, white always goes first. <laughs> it was annoying me the entire time. No, I'm only kidding. Um, we'll talk about that in a second here. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, I, I'm 90% sure I haven't shared with you guys this story, but um, as you know, I am a, I am a fisherman, okay? I, I, I love fishing, okay? Um, I, I don't think a, a message goes by without me mentioning sports or fishing some, in some way, shape, or form, but... Um, a few weeks ago, I was fishing, and I, um, I went up to Tunkhannock, uh, Lazy Brook, I think that's what it's called, Lazy Brook Park, um, Stony Brook, I don't know what it's called, but it's up in Tunkhannock, it's somewhere up there. So, uh, so I come down to the river, and I notice that there are like four or five guys fishing there, and I'm like, oh man, it's, it's kind of packed, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go up and around so I kind of go up and around uh, the bend here uh, of the river. I'm walking upstream, and I'm looking at my phone. And I'm like, okay, there's a nice bend in the stream here. The nice thing about Google Maps is you can kind of see the contour a little bit of, of, the, uh, of the creek there. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is going to be a good spot for me. Um, and it's late, okay? I got out there maybe 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. I was thinking, listen, I'll fish for maybe an hour and then call it a day. So I get up around the bend, and I'm looking at my phone, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to fish right here. And I fish there, and I fish for about 20 minutes. I catch one or two little smallmouth bass, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, about the spot that I picked and everything. But it's getting dark. And, um, you know, as a fisherman, sometimes we're like, ah, just, just one more. You know, just, just one more. I know that big one is out there. Like, I, I want to catch it. Like, you know, I, I'd, I'd hate to walk away right now. And I'm looking at my phone, and it's getting darker. And um, I notice that there's a way, a shortcut, like a way out uh, from the river here. Um, and it's, it looks like a, a dried-up creek bed that I, can, that I can walk through. So now it's probably around 9, 9.15. It's getting dark. And I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. Don't catch anything else. So I, I start down this creek bed. I find it, and I'm walking. And all of a sudden, in this creek bed, a tree has fallen. Um, and I'm looking at it, and there's not, there's not many leaves on it. It's old. It's dead. And I'm like, well, I can kind of navigate through it. So I literally crawl on the creek bed to get under this tree and around, and I make it around, and I'm like, all right. So I keep walking, and I'm walking, and all of a sudden, I realize that this creek bed kind of ends, and there are just weeds all around me. And not like weeds like weeds with like big leaves with you know trunks like this this thick and the only knife that I have is my my fishing knife that that uh that the Killians and the pages got me which is like you know it's like a fillet knife like I'm not I'm not doing anything with that to cut down these giant weeds that are in the way so I'm looking at my phone and I can see where I parked and I can see the direction that I have to go and it's through the weeds. Now, listen, at any point, I could have turned around. I could have walked back down the creek bed, and I could have got back to the little creek and walked downstream this time, which would not have been as bad. But I thought to myself, no. Like, 
I, I gotta say, like from where I am in the weeds here to my car is, is probably right where the Lutzes are sitting right now. Like it's the, it's the end of, of this thing. And it looks like those weeds are only about halfway as, as far here. And, and I can make it, I think. So I, I, I do something silly. I, I don't, you know, take down my rod, which I should have started with. I got a big, long, 10-foot fly fishing rod. And I start. And I'm tearing, I'm tearing weeds down, and I'm going through. And literally, I turn on my flashlight, and I'm in a canopy of weeds now. Like, I'm in my own little, like, area here, right? Um, I'm under the weeds, and I can actually see pretty good, uh, except for the fact that now my, uh, my fly has caught on uh, one of the weeds behind me, and I've got a line now going way behind me, and I'm not walking backwards. So I take my fillet knife, I cut the line, and I just... I keep going, I keep going, I keep going, and I'm tearing through things. I actually fall at one point, I cut my leg, I'm like, ah, I'm hot, I got my waders on, like I am just, I am like a sweaty mess, right? So I'm just tearing, and I'm walking, and I'm tearing, and all of a sudden I see a clearing, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Like there is a, there is a clearing, and I finally get through the weeds, and I come out, and I'm standing in the creek bed again. I did a complete circle in the weeds and came back exactly where I started. But I start thinking to myself here, there was a point when I was in the weeds that all reason went out the window. I, I, I entered a completely different state of mind, okay? Uh, there was a point there when I was in the weeds, and this was only about 10 minutes, but there was a point where I was like, you know what? I'm staying here tonight. Like, this is where I'm sleeping tonight. Like, this is, this is where I'm going. There was another point where I, you just get in this mindset. It's like survival mode. You're like, I have to get out. Like, I, I have to get out. Like, there's, there's no other objective right now other than to get out. I literally lost my mind in the weeds. And when I came out to that creek bed, I just had to laugh at myself. I was like, how foolish, how silly. And thankfully, I, was, I had my phone there and I looked at my phone again and sure enough, I started in the right direction. I just started to veer left a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until I was in the exact same spot again. I was able to finally get out just by following my path and staying straight at that one point. You know, it's one of those moments though that I, I really hope that there is instant replay in heaven. Like, I want to see this knucklehead enter the weeds and just make a complete circle and come out the other side. Like, I just, I want to be able to laugh at myself in heaven. But there's times that our pride gets the best of us. I thought in my mind, I knew the right way. I thought I was going the right direction. I thought I had the situation under control. But I obviously didn't. I was obviously lost in the weeds here. Today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 4. Turn with me there to Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to look at a character named Nebuchadnezzar again. Uh, we've talked a lot about Nebuchadnezzar over the past few weeks. Um, the first week that we were together, um, we looked at this idea. Uh, when our sovereign God allows suffering, will we choose uh, satisfaction or sanctification? We talked about this idea of drawing a circle around ourselves 
and, and choosing to be, to be sanctified rather than uh, satisfying our own fleshly wants, desires, or what we think is right to do. Week two, um, we talked about fear, and we said when fear consumes those around us, um, are we drowned, uh, I'm sorry, are we devoured by it, or do we remain devoted to God? Uh, week three, we said um, the God of heaven is in control, we need to trust in him. Week four, uh, last, uh, not last week, but the week before, we, we looked at this idea of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the story of the three men who entered the fire. And we said, when standing before the king results in the king, uh, results, um, I'm sorry, standing with the king, um, we talked about this idea of faith, and that faith is a muscle. It needs to be tested. It needs to be stretched, and it needs to be flexed. But all throughout these, these four weeks here, um, we've kind of tiptoed around this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, and we've kind of talked about him and, and who he was and, and his desire for things. Um, and we're going to start in um, Daniel chapter 4 here, uh, in verse 1. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions here. We need to be interactive this morning, okay? I only had a few hours to prepare, so we need, we need some positive interaction here. Who is King Nebuchadnezzar. Is King Nebuchadnezzar uh, a follower of God up to this point, or is he a pagan king? Pagan king, right? He is a pagan king. He is as, as, as far as far can be from, from being a follower of the one true God. But we have him here uh, several times in this book acknowledging God. Uh, making statements about God. We saw two weeks ago that he, he makes this wonderful statement and he says, what other God can save in this manner when he talks about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, after his, his first dream here, he turns to Daniel and he says, your God is the revealer of mysteries. Surely he is the God of gods. He said these amazing things about, about God but there's still something about him that causes us to say, no, still a pagan king. This pagan king, after the events of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after the first, um, the first dream that he had that Daniel not only basically reads his mind um, and tells him what the dream was, but then interprets the dream, has now decided to write a letter to the entire kingdom. And he starts off this by identifying himself as who he is, this letter. And he says, peace be multiplied to you. Now, everything we know about Nebuchadnezzar, know, we know that this man is not necessarily a man of peace. But he says, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me, he says. Uh, that, that phrase, good to me there. He's glad to do this. He's happy to do this. This is a, a, a joyous occasion. He's, he's not writing this under any coercion, not under any, any compulsion, other than the fact that he feels like this is the right thing to do. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God, and notice what he says here, has done 
for me. Now, he doesn't say here that the Most High God has done to me. If you think about Nebuchadnezzar right now, all of the plans that Nebuchadnezzar has had up to this point, all of the visions and and dreams and aspirations and things that he has tried to do when these Hebrews have entered his land, when he's taken them captive, they've all kind of blown up in his face. I mean, especially the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, you got three guys that are defying you. Like, here is your decree. And they stand there and they say, no, king, we ain't going to do it. It's not going to happen. We're not going to defile ourselves. They say it right to his face. Everything that he's planned has kind of blown up in light of these, these faithful men that choose to defy him. And yet still here, he says, what God has done for me and not to me. One other thing that we have to keep in mind when we're reading this is that this is not written in Hebrew. It's written in Aramaic. The original readers of this letter here to the nations were not necessarily the Jews. It was the entire nation of Babylon. He is proclaiming to a bunch of pagans how great the Hebrew God actually is. And notice what he says. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Remember what we shared a few weeks ago uh, from history, what history tells us? Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, at his coronation, when he stood before the entire nation, what he prayed to his God for is that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom, that his dominion would reign forever and ever. And now we have this pagan king who seems to have a complete change of heart here. And he recognizes that there is a kingdom that is greater than his kingdom. There is a dominion that will not pass away. That's greater than human kingdoms. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what's changed here? To make the king recognize that the God of heaven is the everlasting God, the most high God. And what we're going to see today is that the most high God humbles those who walk in pride for their benefit. It's for the prideful people's benefit that he humbles them. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar says here. He says, these things weren't done to me, they were done for me and for my benefit. And we're going to talk exactly about what that benefit is in a second here. Let's look at verse 4 here. We're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar um, starts to speak here in his letter. Um, And we're going to see that he receives something here. And we're going to look at the reception here. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in the bed and the fancies and the visions uh, of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon 
Give me, uh, make known, might make known, I'm sorry, I brought all the wise men of Babylon that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me the interpretation. Now stop right here for a second. Remember, don't get ahead of ourselves. We want to let the narrative kind of dictate how we perceive what is going on. This is very, very similar to the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, right? He has a dream, and what does he do? He calls all of the wise men together. He says, hey, guys, I I had a dream. Now, this is where it kind of goes off course a little bit, though. In the first time, he says, listen, I had a dream, and I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You have to tell me what the dream is and tell me what the interpretation is. And it was a scary dream. I mean, that's, that's another similarity between these two dreams. These dreams were alarming. They were unusual. They were different than any other nightmare that the king has ever had. So he calls everybody together, and they can't do anything. They can't figure it out. Verse 8, at last Daniel came before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirits, the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the, magi- uh, uh, <laughs> chief of the magicians, not musicians, uh, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation. And we have to break this down a little bit. Okay. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar does here. He is speaking the words, he's writing the words that he actually spoke, but at the same time, he's giving us a commentary. And I think it starts to reveal where Nebuchadnezzar actually is right now. Remember, Daniel's not the one that's penning this letter. It is the king. And the king himself makes it a point to call Daniel by his actual name and then make a point to tell us where the new name came from. He draws a distinction between his God and the God of Israel, sort of, right? Because what does he say? He says, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And I think this is very, very important when we're talking to people that we don't necessarily agree with. People who aren't necessarily followers of God. Because you're going to see in Daniel's response here, Daniel doesn't correct the king. I don't think it's because Daniel's afraid of the king. I think it's because Daniel knows where the king is at when he's saying it. That the king really has no reason to know who the God of heaven is, who the most high God is. See, King Nebuchadnezzar is looking from his perspective. And he's trying to make judgment calls based on what he thinks is right. He has a whole belief system that he has to now navigate through. That now this is the second dream that he had. And sure, Daniel has a God... And that God is powerful, that God's done some amazing things, but there's still these other gods out there. 
Now, I want you to remember, this is where Nebuchadnezzar is when he's telling the story. How we should really look at this is this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Okay? All of us have a testimony, right? All of us have a story. There was a time that we were an enemy of God. There was a time that maybe we believed things about God that weren't necessarily 100% accurate. And someone was gracious to us. Someone gently corrected us. But really, what it was, was it wasn't the spirit of the gods that was in us that eventually corrected us. It was the Holy Spirit. See, Nebuchadnezzar, right now, he's scared, afraid, and he's trying to figure things out from his own perspective. He's utterly alone and helpless. And I think Daniel realizes this, that this is a man in distress. One other thing that Nebuchadnezzar says, he says, because I know, okay? So Daniel comes in, Nebuchadnezzar is, he is, he is put at ease. He's like, oh, finally, someone who knows what they're talking about. I have found the answer. I know, Daniel, that you can do this. There's only one problem with that statement. Daniel told him the first time, listen, it's not because I'm wise. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because of anything that's inside of me that I can interpret dreams. It's because I am faithful to the one and true God. He is the revealer of mysteries. Do not look to me. But Nebuchadnezzar is caught in the weeds here. He can't see anything else except for what is right in front of him. And there is a man in front of him that solved the problem once and he's going to look to this man again. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar wants us to realize. Remember, this is a letter from the king. This isn't Daniel's hand writing this. See, Nebuchadnezzar was once blind to all of these things. He could not see the forest despite the trees here. Everything was right in front of him. But I think from his first statement here, he wants us to see. He wants us to see that his perspective was wrong. That there was a time that he thought it was all about him. That he thought he was the one in control of things. But now he's starting to see that he has no control whatsoever over any of these situations. That something else is moving the pieces that he cannot even see. But Daniel can, at least according to him here. Let's continue on verse, uh, verse 10 here. We're still getting the, the reception of the dream here. He says, uh, the visions of my head, Nebuchadnezzar says, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and it became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant. In it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of heaven lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. As Nebuchadnezzar falls asleep, this starts off like a good dream, right? It's beautiful. 
He's like, oh, it's a big tree. It's huge. And look, everyone's come together underneath the tree or in the tree. And the tree is just sustaining everything. Oh, this is, this is beautiful. This is great. How many of you have had a dream that starts off good and then all of a sudden takes a left-hand turn, right? I mean, dreams happen like this all the time. But he starts off in a good place. He said earlier, I was sitting in my, and I was, I was sitting in my throne and my castle and my palace and I was just basking in how great everything was. And I see the beginning of this dream and I say to myself, oh, it's great. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The tree is taking care of everything. And then verse 13, I saw the vision of my head as I lay in bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven He proclaimed in a loud voice and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with an iron band of bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Remember here, guys, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, is giving us a glimpse into his heart here, okay? He's, he's going to relay things. He's going to relay the words that he relayed to Daniel exactly as he relayed them, and he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to say, listen, when I saw this dream, I saw a watcher, somebody who was observing from a distance come down from heaven. That's how he describes this being, This individual as a watcher, a holy one, someone who was separated, someone who was different from the scene. There was something different about this individual, and that's all I can tell you, is that it was a watcher, a holy one, and he comes down and he says, chop the tree down. Nebuchadnezzar has this beautiful dream and all of a sudden the the object of of the beauty of the dream, this beautiful tree is being chopped down. Its branches are being cut off. Its leaves are being stripped. And he says, and we're going to put a chain on the stump. You're going to leave the stump there. How many of you guys have a stump in your yard? Right? Everybody loves having a stump in their yard, right? No. It's annoying. I, I, <laughs> I once took a tree down in our yard. Uh, it, it was not the right way to take a tree down in our yard. I think my chainsaw was about, my blade was about this big and the tree was, was massive. But I, I did it. But that stump sat there for years until one day I saw one of my neighbors had rented a stump grinder. And I went over and I was like, hey, how you doing, friend? <laughs> how much can I pay you to grind this stump up? And he came over and he did, he did a great job. But it was still there. He was an amateur. So then I found somebody online who would come and they would actually grind the stump all the way down for me. And the stump is gone now, mostly. I can still see spots of it. But it's an eyesore. It's, it's something in the middle of the yard that I have to kind of worry about. You know, the kids are playing out there. I'm like, man, if somebody falls and hits their head on a root, like, that's going to be a problem. But the stump is left and there's a chain on it. And the dream gets a little weirder. In the middle of verse 15, 
Let him, wait a minute, hang on. We don't, we don't speak, you know, Spanish or Portuguese, okay? Our trees don't have male or female gender, okay? Um, a tree is not a him, okay? Um, you may think of your car as a her sometimes or a him or things like that. A tree is not a him, it's an it. What are we talking about him for? He says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Now, this idea of the dew of heaven, it just means to live outside. Um, you don't have any cover on you, so when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be wet. If it rains, it's going to rain on you. Okay, that's the idea. But the dream takes a left turn, and now the watcher is talking about a hymn. He's not talking about the tree anymore. He's talking about a hymn. And this is what's confusing to Nebuchadnezzar. It's, it's completely confusing. He's received this dream, and he's like, listen, first it was a tree, then it was a person. I, I don't understand. Verse 16. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the Holy One. To the end that all living, all the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Who decides what happens in the dream? You guys ever, um, you have a dream and it, it really feels like you're in control of it for a while, like everything's going your way, and then it seems like something else takes control of the dream and you're completely out of control. I think that's where Nebuchadnezzar is. I think at the beginning of the dream, he's like, oh man, I could stay here forever under this tree. This is, this is great. I could look at this tree for years and years and be completely satisfied in what this dream is doing right now. But then again, it takes a left-hand turn. You see, the watcher takes over the dream. The watcher not only takes over the dream, but the watcher is the judge of what happens to the tree and what happens to the man who is going to be bound to the stump of this tree. The watcher says clearly, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers and the decision by the word of the holy ones. The watcher is very, very clear as to what's going to happen. He flat out says, the end is that the living might know that the most high God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he sets over it, the lowliest of men. Listen, I don't necessarily think it takes the, uh, the Holy Spirit to figure out the interpretation of this dream. I mean, he gives them the answer as to why the tree is being torn down. He gives them the answer as to why God is giving him this dream that all men may know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men. That's the reason you're getting this dream, Nebuchadnezzar. 
but it's still not clicking with him. He's still not understanding. He's so scared by what he sees. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar wants to accept reality. And when the chief magicians and Chaldeans and everyone else comes together here, I don't think they want to tell the king what his dream means. There's another part of me though. Again, if I had more time to study this, I would not be shocked or surprised if God clouded the judgment of everyone else here other than Daniel. I would not be shocked or surprised if God clouded the judgment of everyone else involved as far as the interpretation of this dream in order that Daniel may be the one to give the interpretation. So Daniel comes on the scene here and we have the revelation. We've had the the recognition of God already, the the reception of the dream, and now Daniel is going to give the revelation. He's going to explain to us exactly what the dream means. And in verse 19 it says, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, uh, was dismayed for a while. And this thought alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation or the interpretation alarm you. Daniel comes before the king and he hears the dream and he's scared. Why? And I've heard several people preach this, this sermon before and they preach, oh, well, you know, if, if he brought bad news to the king, he could die. Guys, I don't think Daniel's afraid of dying. I think there's another reason he's afraid. And I think it's revealed in what he answers here. It says, Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and it's interpretation for your enemies. Guys, I'm gonna tell you something shocking here. This pagan king who doesn't acknowledge God, who lives for himself, whose desires are only for himself, whose pride is higher than maybe anyone else on earth right now. I think Daniel loves him. I think he does. I think there's a part of Daniel that loves this man and cares about this man. I think there's a part of Daniel that knows everything that this man has seen, said, and done over these years of captivity, being in the position that he's in, having revealed to him by God the interpretation of this man's dreams. I think Daniel knows that God is doing something amazing in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Something that the world has not seen done in the life of a pagan king to this point. That God is systematically breaking this man down for his benefit. For King Nebuchadnezzar's benefit. And it's not so that his kingdom will be larger. It's not so that his reign will be longer. It's so that the statement at the beginning will be true of his heart. That the most high God has an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is forever and ever. That Nebuchadnezzar would come to this point. But he says, my Lord, may this dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies the tree you saw which grew up and came strong so its tops reached to the heavens. 
it was, uh, it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant, and, uh, and in which food, uh, food was, I'm sorry, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and those branches the birds of heaven lived. It is you, O king. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Verse 23, and because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, again, Daniel does not change the interpretation or the words that the, that the king used to describe his dream here coming down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots of the earth bound by a band of iron and bronze um, and the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation. O king, it is the decree of the most high which has come upon the Lord, uh, my Lord, the King, that you shall be driven among men, uh, from among men. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots um, of the tree, your kingdom will be, uh, shall be confirmed to you by the time that you may know, uh, that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquity by showing mercy to the oppressed that you, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel says, listen, king, it's you. You're the tree, you're going to be cut down. You're also the man. You're the man that's going to be bound here. You're going to be stuck. You're going to be given the mind of a beast. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to eat grass. King, you are going from the palace of eating the choicest of foods, like we read about in chapter one, all the way to being like a cow, an ox. You're going, to, you're going to eat the grass and you're going to have to live outside. And seven periods of time are going to pass over you. Much has been made about these seven periods of time. Most scholars believe that it's seven years. It never says years, it just says periods of time. The only indication that we have that it might actually be a year's length is the length of the, kid's hair, uh, the king's hair. The king's hair will grow as long as feathers. His nails will be like eagle's talons. It's going to be a while. The king is going to be utterly humiliated. It's not just going to be a scandal where he's removed from office. It's not just going to be a fall from grace where he's kind of a lame duck king, where he doesn't really have any real power. No, you are going to have no power whatsoever. Everything will be taken from you. Not just the kingdom, not just your power, not just everyone looking to you for answers. Because in a real sense, that tree, every, every beast of the field, every bird of the air looked to that tree to provide them with safety, comfort, food, everything. 
the sustenance of life. All of the beasts saw it as a good thing. The birds of heaven saw it as a good thing. Everyone looked to Nebuchadnezzar. And the ruler, the most high God, says, listen, cutting it down, chopping it off, that you may know that I'm in control. That I control who sits in power. And guess what, Nebuchadnezzar? I'm going to take you all the way down and then bring you back up again. See, there's hope at the end of this. But Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. It's another reason why I think Daniel loves the king. Because of what he says at the end here, he says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. I think Daniel is is praying and hoping for repentance here. Uh, Much in the same way that, that Jonah, remember Jonah, we talked about Jonah? When Jonah goes, and he says, he says, listen, repent. Now he does it unwillingly, but there's still a chance for Nineveh to repent here. Daniel says the same thing to the king. Stop doing what you're doing. Turn away from sin, your iniquity. Maybe God will relent. Maybe there'll be a lengthening of your prosperity. How do we know that there is a chance for repentance? I I think mainly because this is different than than chapter 5 of Daniel. See, in chapter 5 of Daniel, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's son is going to see some writing on the wall. And his son's going to get less than 24 hours. And there is no room for repentance. Daniel says, this is what's going to happen tonight. Your kingdom will be taken away from you and given to another. What does verse 28 say here of chapter 4? All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. Whoa, hang on a second. This is a year later. Nebuchadnezzar gets a year to stew on this, to think about it, to repent, to change his ways. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on his roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king answered and said, is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Oh, king. Why'd you have to go and say that? The rebellion of the king. This isn't the first time that the king has heard the words of God. This isn't the first time that he's been told exactly what's going to happen. See, the king is fighting against the words of God, the revelation of God. He's living in open rebellion. Twelve months go by. You know, if we've learned one thing about Nebuchadnezzar, he has a very short memory. This guy constantly, he turns to God and then turns away. Turns to God, turns away. You know what I think if we're honest with ourselves, We've got a pretty short memory at times too. When sin is crouching at our door. 
when that temptation comes and we think to ourselves, you know what? Today, I'm going to choose satisfaction over sanctification. When that person comes gossiping about someone else, we want to jump right in. We're like, whoo, I got some dirt. I'm ready to go. We have a short memory. A really short memory. So does the king here. 12 months, stands on top of the roof. I'm awesome. My kingdom is awesome. He literally looks at the kingdom like he looked at the tree. He says the tree is beautiful. Look at what it does for everyone. Look at how great it is. Look at how great I am. Look at everything that I have done. Unfortunately for, for all of us and for human history, pride is not unique to Nebuchadnezzar. Pride is as old as, as people. I, I think back to the book of Genesis. And I think about what Satan said to, to Eve. Now, when you eat it, you ain't going to die. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be wise like him. See, God just wants to keep you in the dark. Let's keep you uninformed. Why not be on a level playing field with God? Seems good to me. You could be in charge of your own life. Nebuchadnezzar right here, he thinks he's in charge of his own life. (laughs) God is awesome. While the words were still in the king's mouth, (laughs) I, I think of, I can't help but think of Peter in this moment when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and he says, Oh, it's good for us to be here. It's like, while the words were still in his mouth, a voice from heaven, also reminiscent of the Mount of Transfiguration, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. I've never heard an audible voice from heaven. Okay. Um, I've heard thunder. Um, I've been scared by things that have brought me almost to my knees, uh, I can guarantee you a voice from heaven, you hit the ground. You're done. You're not just startled. It's not just a dream that causes you to be scared. You're petrified. You're terrified. And not only is there a voice from heaven, but the news is bad. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be of the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, time to check your heart here. You think you've done all this? You think you're the best? You think you're the greatest? You're just a tool in my hand. I used you, not for your own glory, but to discipline my children. That's the reason you're in power. That's the reason you're so great. It's by my will and my bidding. I determine who's in charge. Not you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You don't have that power. You don't have that authority. Now I'm going to throw Nebuchadnezzar a bone here. Because again, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know the Most High God. From his perspective, he is in charge. From his perspective, he is pretty great. 
From his perspective, he's built a lot of great things and he's taking care of a lot of people. But unfortunately, his perspective is not God's perspective. And unfortunately for him, God's perspective is the only one that matters. Immediately, verse 33, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Twelve months he was given and in an instant his mind was taken away from him. His kingdom was taken away from him. Everything changed until he realizes that there is a God in heaven, that the most high rules, that he's in charge. Remember guys, God took Nebuchadnezzar from the height of power to now not even being able to take care of himself. Can you imagine living in the kingdom? Can you imagine like your king now is a beast of the field. What do you think that does to everybody else around you? You think that strengthens your kingdom? That your king is crazy? He lives outside, he eats grass, he doesn't, really, he doesn't talk at all anymore. He just kind of moos every once in a while. What should we do today, king? Looks at you, looks away, starts eating grass. I don't know what we're going to do. Seven periods of time. Who's making decisions? What do we do? You know what? In that seven periods of time, though, no one attacks the kingdom. The kingdom is preserved for this man whose mind is like a beast, who can't even make decisions for himself. The lowliest of low, the for lack of a better term, the craziest guy in the kingdom, the village fool, is going to then be restored as king. The restoration here, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Just as God said. And reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Again, reminiscent of what he said in the beginning here. And then I think Nebuchadnezzar gives us a whole new perspective on his version or vision or attitude towards the Most High God here. Verse 35 says, all, not, not the people I've conquered, not everyone but me, all, all the inhabitants, uh, inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Remember at the beginning, guys? I said, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't say what God has done to him. He says what God has done for him. Not to him, 
but for him. He says here, who has the right to say, what have you done? What have you done to me? You know, there's many of us in this room, there's times. That's what we want to say, right? God, what have you done to me? This is not my plan. This is not the plan, because I made it. What have you done to me? You know, this may be one of the greatest examples of a definition of God's sovereignty in the entire Bible. Listen to what he says again. The inhabitants of the earth are as count as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, uh, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We have a chessboard here, okay? There's certain things that I believe about this game, okay? I have a perspective on this game. Now, generally, my perspective, I prefer, just so you guys know, so if you ever play me in chess, I prefer to be on this side of the board. Why? Well, because I can control the action. Because what did you do, Dr. Sayer? You moved the wrong side first, right? I get to move first. Now, if you're playing me, okay, you need to know this about me. One of my core beliefs about this game here, can an event, Billy, can an event here, I believe that the middle four squares are the most important squares on the entire board in the opening of the game. I believe they are the most important. So what I want to do is everything that I do at the beginning of the game focuses on those four squares. But here's the deal. There are grandmasters out there that know that me, as maybe a thousand rating, which is not very high in chess, maybe a thousand rating, he knows that about me. And he's going to be able to do things to negate my belief here. My core belief. See, when I play, I basically have one move. Uh, this pawn right here, the, uh, the kingside pawn of white here, is both my favorite and most hated piece. See, because I believe that these four squares are the most important, nine times out of ten in a game, I will sacrifice this piece. But in order to sacrifice this piece, by sacrificing it, I gain a distinct advantage over my opponent. Because just by sacrificing this one piece, I now control the entire board in most of the games that I play. I can know this. But if I try to play chess against God, I still don't stand a chance. You're right. Laugh at that, right? Playing chess against God. Dumb move, okay? Don't do it. But that's what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. He's trying to play chess against God. Someone who knows every move that he's going to make. Someone who sees all of his flaws. Someone who looks at the king's perspective and says, listen, king, this is your perspective over here. It's wrong. You're not seeing the board right. You're looking at it completely wrong. And what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to destroy it in order to build it back up again. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he starts, he starts this letter to the kingdom and he says, I'm glad to do this. I'm happy to write you this letter. I'm happy to write you a letter of how I got my lunch 
hand it to me. I'm happy to tell you this story of how foolish I looked. Much in the same way I told you the story at the beginning of how foolish I looked going into a, in a, in a circle. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He's writing this letter and saying, listen, I got egg all over my face. I was living outside, eating grass like an animal for seven periods of time until I turned my eyes to the Lord. My question's for you guys today. Do you guys think you're in control of your own life? Do you think you're the king or queen of your own life? Do you think you're in control? Caleb doesn't. He's shaking his head. He's like, nope, I'm not in control. Caleb knows something that the king, the king of the known world didn't know. You think you're in control. Here's the second question. Is God using a difficult event in your life to bring you closer to him? The most powerful king in the world had this difficult event happen for him in order to bring him closer to God. What is God using in your life right now that you would view as not according to your plan? but it's perfectly in his. Are you fighting against the word of the most high God? See, the bottom line is this, guys. Nebuchadnezzar, he can't get away from this. It's unavoidable. Daniel gives him a chance. He says, please repent. But God already knows this king isn't going to repent before this happens. It's not until he's given the mind of a beast where he finally writes what I would call his resignation letter. Verse 34. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the king's resignation letter. Not of his kingdom, of his life. I skipped over a few verses here. Let's uh, let's go back to verse 36 here. Um, At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now many scholars have looked at these verses here and said, nope, king didn't repent. Look at what he says though. And my reason was returned to me. It doesn't say I was smart enough. It doesn't say I broke out of the bonds. It says it was returned to me. And for my glory and my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor, Return to me. See, the king realizes it's not with his might, it's not with his intelligence, it's not with anything. God returned all of those things to him. He was restored to full kinghood. By who? By the most high God of heaven. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Guys, I think Nebuchadnezzar, I think Nebuchadnezzar has a complete change of heart here. I think he realizes that it's not by his striving and his might 
that he is going to accomplish these things, that God gives him everything back. And his final resignation letter, his statement, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Guys, I want to tell you today, there is freedom in knowing that you're not in control of your life. There is freedom in knowing that the God of heaven is completely in control. I don't know what you're warring against. I don't know what aspects of your life you are not happy with. I don't know what aspects of your life you're not excited about. I don't know what aspects of your life you feel like you have built and what you deserve. Here's what I do know. I do know the God of heaven who's in complete control has the power to take all of those things away from you. And by taking all of those things away from you, he has the power to use all of those things for your benefit. See, the most high God is able to humble those who walk in pride for their benefit. That's what I know from this story. That the most proud guy on earth was made to eat grass and then everything was restored to him. And he saw it as God drawing him closer to himself. Here's the question that everybody always asks. Is Nebuchadnezzar going to be in heaven? I don't know. I kind of hope so. (laughs) I do. Uh, His track record isn't great as far as making these wonderful statements and then going back on them. Here's what I will tell you though. He's closer to God than when it started. He's got people around him that love him even in spite of himself. Even if they don't agree with him. Guys, this is just a side note. You may not agree with our political system. You may not agree with those who are in charge. Republican, Democrat, whatever. How many of us glory when the other side falls flat on their face? Look at Daniel here, man. Like this is a guy that they don't see eye to eye on most things. But Daniel still loves him. You know, guys, there's a tendency for us to try to treat people who don't know the Lord like Christians. We try to hold them to that standard. I'm going to ask you guys to take your pride down a notch. Start loving people like God loved people. Daniel loved this king. I believe it. I believe he genuinely wanted what was best for the king and he knew what was best for the king was for him to submit himself to God. But he didn't correct every little thing along the way. He never compromised. But he loved the king. In humility, he served. And in pride, the king was brought low to a place that he needed to be humbled. Guys, we're called to love. And loving is tough and it's difficult, especially with those who are seemingly against us. But just remember, 
Our God is bigger than those people. He's in control of who's in charge. Even if the United States were to be wiped from the face of the earth tomorrow, our God still rules. Wouldn't be according to our plan, but it's according to his. How strong is your faith? Where are you placing it? You are not the king or queen of your life. Turn to God, humble yourself, turn your life over to him.